Amen. Good morning. It's exciting to see each and every one of you. Welcome to Southridge Church. Do me a favor, would you? Would you give somebody a fist bump around you? Let's be social distant, COVID conscious, I guess. But give somebody a fist bump as you're finding a seat. What a week we had last Sunday, and I'm excited about what God's going to do today. What a great place to be together. If this is your first time, let me be the first to welcome you. My name is Makai Ermler, pastor here at Southridge, and we're excited that you are here. What a great season in the life of our church. What a great season to see what God has in store for us. Our church recently made the announcement. We purchased six acres for the glory of God, and uh, hopefully you got to see that piece of property. If you didn't, we're going to be starting to organize prayer walks around that property uh, just so you can see it. We start praying over it, asking God to do some great things. And uh, we're already underway. We're, we're getting a survey of the land. We're getting a new topo map. So there are things that are happening already to get things progressing on that piece of property. And my prayer is that this year we would pay off the remaining $591,000. So pray with me on that, all right, that God can do it before the end of the year, that we would see that paid off, and we can continue to move this project ahead. I had a phone call with the county this week. They said it takes six to nine months to get this approved through planning. And uh, so there are things that are just happening. It's slow going at first, and then it'll pick up, all right? Also, another announcement, if you would like to stay engaged with Southridge, we have an app that you can download on your Apple devices, also on Google Play. And I was looking at the app. It's a really great app, and uh, it has the sermon notes for today's message. And so you can download the Southridge app. Also, not only that, it has a prayer wall, and uh, you can put your prayer requests on there, and then the church can see it has events, it has ways to register for a life group, shows you which life groups are available. So the app is a great tool. We would encourage you, download it, engage, stay connected. It's a wonderful way to engage. Well, let me pray as we begin this morning. Let's all bow our heads and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time of worship. We thank you that we can come into this place and we can convert a hotel ballroom into a place of worship where we pause on everything else that's going on, on all the things we've got going on this coming week. And we can just take a moment and say to our heart, our anxious souls, to be still in the presence of God. And Father, we do come into this place, and and we know that you are here. Your Holy Spirit is here with us. And so my prayer is that not only would you fill this place with people, but you, you would fill every person with the Holy Spirit. I pray for the person that may be far from you this morning, that they, because of some choices, may be distant from you. I pray that they will be brought closer to you. May the word that you have for us this morning pierce our hearts. May your word be that two-edged sword that your scripture says. May it not return void. May it do the work that you have sent it. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. I love getting mail. I don't know about you. Anybody like to get mail? Mail is kind of a rarity these days, isn't it? It used to be that mail was kind of a common thing because we didn't have email, right? And uh, when email first came out, had a Juno account. Any Juno account holders? Come on, Juno. Yeah, there you go. Any AOL account holders? You had AOL. All right, okay. Hotmail? Hotmail? Yeah, there we go. Okay. And some of you are like, I just had all of them, you know, and you just have these long names. You're just getting it and everything. And uh, it was, it was cool when I got my first email. I was like, this is cool. I got an electronic message from somebody on the other side of the country. How cool is that, you know? And you would hear that 56K modem dial up, you know, and they were just like, yeah, it would take you a couple days. I mean, you could go microwave a Hot Pocket, come back, and it'd still be waiting and everything. It was great. I mean, the stuff that you could multitask while checking your email. Now it's different. Now you wish you didn't have email. Like, I can't stand email nowadays. Man, work, 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 right? Well, back in the day, we used to get old-fashioned snail mail, and it was fun to get letters. And now I think it's even more fun to get a letter because somebody had to take that much more effort and time to write out a message or type out a message to get it prepped and get it ready. And so a message means so much more. So imagine in the passage of Scripture that we're studying, the book of Revelation, imagine how great it was to get a letter. So here you are, you're this church, and we're in Revelation chapter number 2. So if you want to turn there, you can turn there. The book of Revelation chapter 2. 
And forgive me, sometimes I've been calling it the revelations, plural. It's not plural. It's revelation, singular. And uh, I need to watch my enunciation. And it's the revelation, the revelation of God. And there's a church, and there's seven churches. They got a personal letter from Jesus. And so imagine going to the mailbox, and all of a sudden they got a letter. How exciting that must be. Jesus wrote me a letter. I mean, this is better than any letter you got from any boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. I mean, this is a letter from God. And so let's open that letter and let's study that letter together. Because Jesus is writing a letter to the church at Pergamum. And we're going to begin Revelation 2, just a few verses. Verse number 12, let's begin. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write... These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. We'll come back to that. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This letter gets intense, doesn't it? You thought your neighborhood was bad. You thought your neighborhood was rough. How would you like to live where Jesus says, hey, I know your neighborhood. Yeah, Satan lives there. It's like time to move, all right? I can't give this away, all right? Your, Your neighborhood is haunted, literally, right? says, I know where you dwell, Satan's throne. But then he says this, and you hold fast to my name, it did not deny it. My faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because, you, because there have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit immoral immoral things. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and the stone a new name, which written on no one knows except him who receives it. Pergamum was the capital city for 250 years. Now, in the capital city of Pergamum, which is modern-day Turkey, it was the gateway to Asia. And this was ruled by king after king, and this was a magnificent city. It was so great that it had its own library of over 200,000 books. Now, you've got to understand, nowadays you go to the library, and uh, I'm thankful and fortunate my kids love going to the library. I didn't, I didn't enjoy going to the library, all right? It wasn't until later that I enjoyed reading. And, uh, but in that day and age, you've got to think, writing a book was a huge undertaking. It was not just, okay, how do I eke out 10,000 words on my laptop? No, no, no. This was painstakingly copied by hand on something called papyrus, which would have been something that they took from uh, plants, and they'd make these paper sheets. It was very delicate, very brittle, and it was made in a country called Egypt, Alexandria. And they also had a major library. Now, for Pergamum to have a library of 200,000 books... It was actually a sign of their education, their status, their wealth. I mean, this is incredible. But Alexandria, Egypt was getting jealous of how the library in Pergamum was growing, so they cut off their papyrus supply. So Pergamus invented parchment. You say, what is parchment? They would take an animal hide, which is a little bit more uh, durable, and you would stain it with a, a type of a citrus, and you would create their own paper. That's why parchment, pergamus, it's synonymous. It's the same word. So here's a city that was well known. Well, their king was not doing so well, and he had no heir. And he saw that Rome was advancing on the entire known world. So what Pergamum does is they donate. He bequeaths the city to Rome. And in doing so, he says, we're going to build three temples to the emperors of Rome, to the Caesars, where we're going to worship you. And because of that, Rome made them a free city, meaning they could carry out their business as they saw fit, that they could carry out all their religious traditions, and they could, on their own, take care of capital offenses. This is why we read about Antipas being martyred there. Because if you did not worship the emperor, and once a year, you would go to one of the three temples to that emperor, and you would say, Caesar is Lord. And you would take a little bit of incense, and that's, you would just light it. And that's all you had to do. Once a year, and then the rest of your life, you do whatever you want. 
But there was a guy by the name of Antipas. And Antipas said, I know it's a little thing just to say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Three words. Man, that's, that's nothing. So in, in 10, 15 seconds, I just got to say Caesar is Lord, and then I get to live however I want? Sure, you can live however you want. You mean I can worship Jehovah God however I want? Sure, you can worship Jehovah God however you want. You mean I can follow biblical principles however I want? As long as I say your three little words, you're going to leave me alone? I keep my 501c tax-free status, and you won't bother me? You won't harass me? You won't shut down my religious gathering? No, Antipas, we won't. All as you have to do is say, Jesus is Lord. And Antipas said, well, you see, that's the problem, isn't it? Because there's only one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they said, okay, Antipas, is that your choice? And Antipas said, yeah, that's, that's my decision. And they said, okay. So they have this huge brazen bull. And when I mean bull... It's not a bull. I mean, it's a bull like a cow, an animal. In the belly of it, you can put a human being. And this is gruesome. And they created a fire underneath the bull. And as the fire heated up, that bull, the belly of that bull would heat up whatever was inside. And it would kill him. But the screams would come out of the bull's mouth. They, they were ingenious about how they created this instrument of torture. And they put a trumpet-like instrument in the mouth of the bull. So as you would scream or as uh, smoke would come out of it, it would make this sound. And Antipas gave his life. Now, Antipas, they believe, is a person that was very influential, a p- person that was well-known. You say, why? Because when you study about the Herods, There was a Herod named Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that he was the one who thought himself some great orator. And so Antipas was a Gentile name, not a Jewish name. So Antipas in this passage of scripture is a convert to Christianity. And he was so convicted by the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He was willing, not as a Jew, but as a Gentile to give his life. And Jesus remembers. Jesus wrote a letter about Antipas. Jesus says, hey, Antipas, you're going to be remembered. Yes, you suffered for a moment on earth, but guess what? You are forever remembered. And if we could stop at that letter, man, what a great letter. But that's not where the letter stops, does it? You see, there were two churches within the same church. There were those that were Antipas's that said, no, we can't do that. I know you're asking me to say Caesar is Lord just one time a year. Light a little incense and there I go about my day. But no, I cannot do that. I will not do that. Because the Bible talks about that salvation is a confession of our mouth. Romans 10. That with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What's that confession? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That, that, that there is no, there can't be two Lords. To admit somebody is Lord means they're supreme, they're chief, they're the only one. But yet in this passage, it talks about how he says, I know your works. And talks about, I know what Antipas did. He says, I have a few things against you. What were those few things? He says, because you hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak how to trick God's people into sinning. You see, today we are faced with the same dilemma that the church of Pergamum was faced with. You say, what's that? And that's just to blend in. Just to blend in. How hard is that? Come on, go with the flow. Just do what everybody else is doing. Just blend in. And what I like to say is more like this. Just blend in your beliefs because that's what they wanted in Pergamum. They said, just blend in your beliefs. Come on, we've got all these temples. And Pergamum is filled with temples. Uh, It's still a city that you can go see these ruins and they're magnificent. Their Colosseums are magnificent. As a matter of fact, they were so magnificent. This is kind of freaky, okay? When Adolf Hitler was in power, he asked his architect to copy the temples that were in Pergamum, and he put the same temple in Germany. You want to talk about the seat of Satan. All of a sudden, Adolf Hitler, and you can look at it and do some study. Go on Wikipedia. It's scary how he built the exact same temple there in Germany because he wanted people to know this is where the seat of power was. And so we see that in this city, there are these people that they were told, just blend in, just be like everybody else. But we as Christians, we can't blend our beliefs. 
It's oil and water. It's light and darkness. You can't blend it. But if we were honest today, there has never been more pressure on you and I to blend in our beliefs. There's never been more pressure than today to not talk about what you believe. For me to go in public nowadays and to say that I believe there are two genders, do you know what kind of argument that starts? For, for me to say that, I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast, and he had a guest, and she's not a Christian. She was on there, and she said, she wrote a book. She said, scientifically, there are two genders. And Joe Rogan said, you can't say that. And Joe Rogan was laughing because he was like, 10, 15 years ago, you could say it, but now you're going to get canceled. And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely, you'll get canceled. Oh, yeah, this, this does not fly. I mean, to, to, for you to say that you believe that there's only one way to heaven, oh, you can't say that either. You can't say it to a coworker. You can't say it to a neighbor. You can't say it to a friend. You can't even say it to your barber. It used to be that we could say anything to our barber. But all of a sudden now, that's why some of you got a bad haircut. Because you told your barber exactly what you thought. And your barber went, zoop, and there you go. It's gone. Game over. You, you, you can't. And that's where Satan, I think, is most clever. Because he gets Christians to just say, hey, the only way you can live is if you just blend in your beliefs. And that's the struggle today. It's a struggle for our young people. When they go off to public school, when they go off around their friends, just blend in their beliefs. Just be like everybody else. Think like everybody else. Act like everybody else. Even though we teach them, hey, don't follow the crowd. Stand up. Dare to be a Daniel. But yet today, we need to be encouraged to not blend our beliefs and not compromise our convictions. Because that's the struggle today is to blend. And would you write that down? Don't blend. Because I think that's the reminder we need this morning. To not blend. Because I see people today, that is their goal. Just blend. And that's verse 14. You see, what happened in verse 14, he brings up Balaam. Balaam was a prophet who would work for a prophet. He wasn't a prophet of God that would say, thus saith the Lord and stand for truth. No, no, he could be bought. And Balaam was a prophet that you could buy. And Balaam was hired by a pagan king to curse God's people. And you can read about it in Numbers 22 through chapter 25. And on the way, he had a donkey. And the donkey feared God more than Balaam feared God. And the Bible says that God opened the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey began to speak to Balaam. And the amazing thing was that this donkey had more sense than this prophet. And here we are. We're thinking, well, how does it connect? Because God wouldn't allow Balaam to curse God's people. So what did Balaam do? Well, he goes home, and he thinks about it. Because the king was going to give him a lot of money, a lot of status, and he was like, man, I really want that money. Because he's a prophet for profit. And he's like, man, I need to make some money. How can I make some money? You know, this, this whole pastor thing doesn't pay very well. And there's a lot of truth to that. So don't get into it for the money. I know there's a lot of people that think, that must be nice. You work one day a week. Man, you know, that's pretty cool, you know. And then whatever comes in the plate, you know, uh, one for me, one for God. Two for me, one for God. Three for me. Now, that's not how it works. Just to clarify, okay, that's not how we do it. Pastor Meese and I don't go in the back and be like, oh, man, it's going to be a rough week this week, all right? No, that's not how it works. But here, Balaam, he wanted the money, and so he comes out with a scheme. You say, what's his scheme? He says, I can't curse God's people, but I'll tell the king how he can corrupt God's people. See, if Satan can't curse you, he'll corrupt you. You say, what, do you, what, what did he do to corrupt God's people? He told the king, he said, hey, I notice." I notice your nation in Moab here, you have some cute-looking ladies. And I know those Jewish boys are kind of tired of those conservative, godly, Christian, little bit stuck-up Jewish girls. They want something a little bit more loosey-goosey. They want somebody else. So here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you to send your prettiest ladies and go, hello, boy. And just start making googly eyes at them. And just go down there and just see what happens. Because then they're going to start intermixing. And then God will do what you couldn't do. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. So what is God saying to this church of Pergamum? He's saying, hey guys, you guys are blending with culture. Because that's what, in new, what, what uh, Balaam knew would bring God's judgment is they started to blend. Because God says, come out from among them 
and be separate, says the Lord. This is why God calls us to be holy. You know what holy means? It doesn't mean that, oh, that's something that had some holy water sprinkled on it. Holy just means separate. It means just it's different. We used to have a room, and it was called the parlor. uh, And the parlor room, it was the sitting room. Maybe you don't have that anymore. Now it's kind of, you don't have a special room. When company comes over, that was the one room that was always ready for company. The rest of the house, it was all torn up. But, man, you could go into that sitting room, or you can go into the living room, and it was nice. It was ready. That means it was holy. And growing up, my parents, they had a set of fine china. And if we were to have a guest come over, my mom would get the china out. And it had the gold rim so you couldn't throw it into the microwave unless you want Fourth of July fireworks, you know. Uh, so you couldn't throw those plates in the microwave. And then you had to hand wash them because they were hand-painted china. And I was thinking, you have seven kids. Why do you have china? Like, this is just, you're asking for problems, right? China just was something special. God says you are holy. That means you're special. It means you're not common. You're uncommon. But yet we treat ourselves in common ways. And so God is trying to get his people to understand that they are holy, they are separate, and they're to be set apart. Different. Not stuck up, not arrogant, but they should know there's something different. Yesterday I was doing a wedding, and I walked in, didn't know anybody, really except for the bride and groom and a couple of the friends that were going to be there. And a man came up to me, and he was like, you must be the officiant. And I said, wow, this guy's really perceptive. And he said, well, no, 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 you had a Bible. Nobody else would have a Bible. I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's kind of a dick giveaway and everything. I said, oh, okay, that works. Wouldn't it be something if God's people carried Bibles everywhere? Like, if that's it, I mean, everybody was looking nice like I was looking nice. So it wasn't my clothing. So just because you have a he must increase, I must decrease shirt doesn't do anything. I found an old sticker that was the knot of this world. Remember that early 2000s trend, you know? And uh, that doesn't do it. So what's going to help us stand out? Something that would really help God's people stand out. It's their character. It's their conduct. And Satan's goal is to get you to blend that with everybody else. So guess what? That you don't stand out. Because we are called to be lights shining on a hill. But what have God's people done? We've covered our light with a bushel. We've covered it. We don't want to stand out. We don't want anybody to know that we're different. And we think that they're going to assume we think we're better than them. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. It's that we understand that our life needs to be something different, that they see that when God comes into somebody's life, he changes it, and that inward change manifests itself outward. Because without the inward change, where are the signs? The Bible says, therefore, bring therefore meat under repentance, bring therefore fruits under repentance. There should be a sign that God has made an internal change. And it's concerning when we meet Christians whose character and conduct never changes after they met Christ, which could lead us to believe that maybe you've never met the risen Savior. You say, that's a mean statement. No, I think it's true. I think that if it took my first daughter 12 hours to be born, she kept her mama and I up all night. She was three weeks late, okay, 21 days late. And then she wants to keep us up another 12 hours because she doesn't want to come out. And she had a very long birth. What am I talking about? I just had ice chips, okay? That's, I had the easy job. My wife had to deliver the baby. So if it took 12 hours to have a baby girl, and you think you can get saved in just a second by praying a little prayer? Jesus, I accept you. I know you accept me. You think that's it? You think that's how easy salvation is? You, think you, you don't think you have to work through some of the junk in your life? You don't think you've got to confess some sin, repent of some stuff? You don't think you've got to get right before God? No, no, There's, this is called the new birth for a reason. But yet we are, in today's society, we're blending. Now, I, I, I honestly, I enjoy blending. Man, I even brought my blender. I'm ready to blend. I like blending. I'm short, so I'm going to actually need to lower my blender. All right? But when it comes to blending, I don't mind blending stuff up. That's why I even brought some stuff here to blend. I brought yogurt. I don't know about you, but I, I could use a smoothie. It's getting warm in here. I'm going to set this down for a second. Y'all can hear me. I will project. Sorry, sound team, and sorry, podcast. We've got a small stage to work at, and I'm going to start cooking some stuff up here. And uh, we got a berry medley. That's always good in a smoothie, a little berry medley. And uh, we're going to blend this thing up, a little of that. But you know what I like? I like a little yogurt just to kind of make the consistency a little bit more drinkable. Who knew you were going to come to church and you were going to have a little jamba, jamba juice, all right? So throw that in there. That. All right. Now, we are almost set. Where's my lid? Okay. All right. Turn it on. I 
never ask my wife if I can borrow stuff, all right? I just do it. Here we go. Now, I'm going to hold the mic over here, but let's just kind of blend this up. I think five is a good speed. I don't want this flying off, so I'll just kind of do this. We're just going to blend it up, all right? Because that's what culture tells you to do, right? Just, just throw some good stuff in there and just blend it. It'll be good. And come on, blend. That's why you need this little tool, okay? All right. Let me turn it off first before I do this because it doesn't blend right. And then the Vitamix has this great idea to get this little wand in here. All right, just put the wand in there. It helps you, helps you blend it up a little bit better, okay? We're going we're gonna to make sure this thing is really good, all right? Because I want a really good smoothie. It's warm in here. Some of you guys putting out some heat. All right, now we got this smoothie, and I got a cup. Man, that smoothie's going to be good. Nice and hot. It's really good. It's okay to blend up some good things, right? It's okay to get in the life group around other Christians as you say, hey, we're going to pray, we're going to fast, and we're going to seek God. And you're going to be around somebody who's been a Christian for 20 years, but they still have the same passion and fervor and zeal and excitement for God. And then you got somebody who, who's a baby Christian. They just got saved. They don't know uh, that Job is Job or Job is Job, and they think it's Palms and not Psalms. And, I mean, they're getting things messed up, but you're excited because they're excited, and you know God's going to grow that baby Christian, right? Man, they're excited. And that's good to blend that. But you know what's not good to blend with? The world. You say, what do you mean by world? I mean culture. I mean a vegetable medley is what I mean. There are certain things you should not put in your smoothie. There are certain things that just will take the appetite right out of you. And that's exactly what we do, though. We just kind of look at some stuff that we've got lying around, and we just add it. We just say, hey, what, what was there was good. And then we just start throwing in whatever else we want. And then... We're like, what else I got? I found a cookie back there. <laughs> Cookies are good. I found a scone. Just throw that in there. I don't know what these are, but these are really delicious. Okay? So we're going to throw these in there too. It'll, let's just see. We used to do this game in youth group where we said, would ask, would it blend? But let's be, let's, let's blend it now, all right? Let's, let's get all this blended up. Blending. Here's what's amazing. It still looks the same, but how many want to bet that tastes gross? That's disgusting. The Bible says, oh, there's always that person. You know, for seven years I was a student pastor before I planted a church. And there was always that junior high kid. I'll drink it, you know. I mean, you could vomit in a cup, blend it up, and they're like, I will do it, yeah. They just wanted attention from the girls. That's all it was. And you're thinking, there's other ways to get attention, all right? Okay, work out, wear cologne, take showers, deodorant. Those are better ways, you know. Those are some good ways. Get a job. I mean, all these things help get the attention of other people. But then you got the people that just, just, ah, I'll drink it. But here's the thing. That's what happens. Culture just says, throw it all in there. They're now saying that there is a galaxy of genders in our textbook. It's not just two. There's a galaxy. This thing could just keep on going. Let's just blend it all. Christianity today, what do you mean? You listen to Oprah. He's like, what do you mean there's only one way to heaven? It's a mountain. There's all roads lead to the top of the mountain. Except for heaven is never talked about in the form of a mountain. All right? The Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That narrows that way down, doesn't it? So for a Christian to just say, hey, I'm just going to blend it all together. Will you get to heaven? You won't, my friend. And that's what's so serious about Christians today that think, I'll just blend it. What's the big deal about saying Caesar is Lord? What's the big deal? It's a little incense. It's just a little bit. No, no, it is a big deal. Here's the reality. I live in 106 Mayland Court, Okay. And if you were to come over to my house, I would need to give you directions on how to get there. There's a certain road. And what if you say, no, 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 Pastor Micaiah, I'm going to get on the 101 freeway, and I'm going to head south, and I'll get to your house. And I'll say, no, my friend, you won't get to my house. Yeah, yeah, I will. I want to take my way. You won't make my, uh, and then you put up your hands and say, no, 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 I'm getting on the 101. I'm going south, and your house works, does it? But yet, why did we do that with God? God, I will choose my lifestyle however I want if it goes in accordance with this book or not. God, heaven better be there when I get there. Who are we 
But that's what culture is teaching us. Just blend it. That's what Balaam did. He said, hey, I know how to get these guys. We'll just blend them in. Just get them intermingling, intermarrying, and man, we will have God judge his people for ourselves because that's culture today. It says, just blend. And I'm talking to Christians today that just say, yeah, what's the big deal, Pastor Guy? They're just asking us to just do a little thing. And I'm saying, wait a minute. Then we lose our holiness. Then we, we miss everything. We can't blend it in. We live in a culture where truth has now been trashed. See, they say truth is relative. It may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And what's true for you doesn't go vice versa. You see, if truth is relative, then there is no truth. Do you get that? There can't be this relative truth. That means there is no longer truth. And isn't that Satan's goal? So then when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, you say, well, there is no truth. Nobody can know truth. There are no absolute truths. That in itself is an absolute truth, though just when you say that or when somebody says that to you. But yet here's Christianity and you say, why is Christianity losing ground? For the first time, it has now been reported that less than 50% of America goes to church for the very first time. We, that was a milestone in 2020, very first time. You say, well, that's disheartening. What's disheartening is not that less and less people are going to church. It's that that's an outward manifestation of what's happened in their heart. It's that they, they don't want to be with God's people. They don't want to gather together. Why? Because we're too concerned with blending. When the Apostle Paul says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Light and darkness don't mix. But yet God's people think we can just, hey, I can be like everybody else and I can do what everybody else wants. So first of all, don't blend. Secondly, don't bond. Because that's the next thing that happens. You see, there's in verse number 15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. I looked at that and I was like, the Nicolaitans? Who? What? And then I went to Acts 6. Acts 6 is where the early church in Jerusalem started and they were looking for deacons, leaders. And they found some deacons. One of the deacons, and I'm going to read it for you, it says, And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. So here's a proselyte, which means he converted to Judaism. He wasn't Jewish. He was Gentile. And somewhere along the way, history nor the scripture records where, we just know where his ending is. Somehow, his influence had reached this church. And this church, by this point, he's gone apostate. He's no longer following where he started. Look at how far he has fallen. And God is saying, hey, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine, the, the, the manner with which he does leadership. Because he was preaching, hey, just bond with them. What's the big deal? Aren't we just supposed to love everybody? And be careful because you're correct. We are supposed to love everybody. But it doesn't mean I love everything about you, just like you don't love everything about me. Okay? The other day, I've got one of my children. They learned to do a little eye roll. You know? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. They can do one little rebellious act at a certain moment, and you're just like, what? You know, you just want to lose it for a minute. Who do you think you are? You know? And then the next moment, you're just like, oh, I love this person so much. And yet there's not, we don't love everything about, although we're called to love people. But that doesn't mean I love everything that you do and everything that I do. But yet we are supposed to love them for the attitude so that we can reach them. But this thinking is the thinking that says I can live for me and I can live for thee. That's what his doctrine was teaching. It was like, hey, you can straddle the fence. You ever heard that term? You can have one foot in culture and one foot in Christianity. Now here's the problem. There's a whole group of Christians that now think that's normal because Christian behavior has normalized one foot in culture, one foot in Christianity, and then we wonder why the church has lost its power. We wonder why the church is impotent. You see, because the church thought, hey, if we take the label off of a bottle called poison, it makes it less potent, and that's not the case, my friend. You see, hell is still hell. Sin is still sin. And you trying to straddle the fence in both worlds, guess what? It means you're no good to the world and no good to God. That's all it means. 
I can't be married to my wife and married to some other woman and think I'm going to have a healthy, thriving relationship. You say, but the Mormons get away with it. No, 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 don't go there. There's a whole other problem. You and I, and here's what's crazy. You know the word Pergamum? You know what the word actually means? Married. That's what Pergamum literally means. Isn't that so fascinating? This is the church of Pergamum. And God says, hey, the church is called the bride of Christ, married to God. But yet here, this bride is unfaithful. It's trying to straddle the fence. And that's where I find Christianity today. It's where I find myself. My biggest challenge is to compromise. And I'll tell you this. It's easy to compromise to culture when you don't understand you have a calling. When you understand that you are called by God to something greater, it's a, it's a little bit easier to not compromise. And you get this. You've done this. You have a calling to get out of debt. So what happens? You say, no, Starbucks. Get behind me, Satan. I'm done with your $8 coffee. I went to Starbucks with two people. I came out $22 poorer. I said, what happened to the commercial, you know, where, hey, just 49 cents can save these starving people in these countries. For less than a cup of coffee. You can't get a cup of coffee for 49 cents anymore, all right? So what happened to me going to Starbucks and now it's so outrageous, but yet that's the way culture is. We just think, man, I can have both sides. I can just kind of live however I want and then show up on Sunday and we expect God to move. We expect God to work. When we don't understand that great moves of God were precipitated by people who wanted to see a great move of God, which meant it was easy to say no to other things. You see, when you have a calling to buy a house, you don't go rack up your credit cards at Macy's. You don't do that. But you say, we need to buy a house so we can't spend money here. So you get the, the, the thinking behind not compromising. But yet Christians today don't understand that we have a calling before God. This is where we're told in 1 Peter that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, we're a called out generation. We have a calling on our lives, each and every one of you. Whether you've discovered it or not, you are chosen by God to live separately, to live differently. You are God's instrument in changing your job, your neighborhood, your family, your circle of influence. You are the one that God has called. You're the one he touched. You think it's an accident you were there? It was no accident you were there. I do weddings for free. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. You say, why do you do it for free? Because more people ask me. You say, why? Why do you want more people asking you? Actually, it's not because I need more to do. That's not it. I'm trying to increase my circle of influence. Because then it allows me to talk to people and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know this whole thing about a wedding is actually a model between the relationship that God wants with you? So how's your relationship with the God that wants to have a relationship with you? And it opens these doors to people. And it opens these opportunities. I did a wedding yesterday and somebody came up to me and they were like, I want to go to your church. And I was like, excellent. If you can find us, you can come. Because we're always moving. I don't know where we're going to be. Who knows? They will tell me tomorrow when I get up to preach. They'll just say, hey, your mic's here. And I'll find it on a little app somewhere. And it's like geocaching. All right, where is it? But understand, folks, that you and I are God's instrument for change. But we will not be able to be used powerfully if we are blending and bonding with culture. And can I say, my friend, that's our biggest struggle. That's when we need to come to God and say, oh, God, where am I blending with culture? Where am I bonding with culture? You see, it's one thing to straddle the fence. It's another thing to water down the truth. And the church has watered down the truth, have we not? It used to be we used to say, thus saith the Lord. Truth has now become trash. Have you realized that? What is truth? Who is truth? That's what Herod asked Jesus. What is truth? That's what your coworker wants. That's what your neighbor wants. They want to know what the truth is. You and I are supposed to be the embodiment of truth. But yet, if we're not the truth and we're not living for the truth because we blended and bonded with culture because we forfeited our calling, then guess what happens to the truth? Truth becomes trash. And nowadays, culture looks at the truth of the word of God and says, it's garbage. We want nothing to do with it. We want nothing to do with anybody who holds to that truth. And it's not their fault. It isn't. It's you and I once again saying, hey, I'm not going to blend. I'm not going to bond. I'm going to get in this truth. I'm going to have this truth, more importantly, get in me. It'll filter through me. It'll cleanse me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your word I have placed as like the frontlets between my eyes that I might meditate on them day and night. And he that meditates them day and night shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. You see, truth is what we've lost today. And you and I need to get back to saying, do I hold the truth? Do I value the truth? And lifting up the truth of God. 
You see, sadly, we've gone against what James 4, 4 says. James, pastor of the church of Jerusalem, says, Do you not know that friendship with the world, this is a system that is antithetic to Christianity. Do you not know friendship with the world? Now, this is not friendship with your coworker and your family. This is, this is a different way of thinking and behaving. It says, do you not know that friendship with that is to be an enemy of God? But yet we read James 4 and we pass right over it. And we think, what's the big deal just to accept a couple of things? It makes me a little bit more light. And that's where we compromise. That's where we blend and that's where we bond. Because we think, well, uh, to be like them, I've got to reach them. Or to reach them, I've got to be just like them. No, you don't, my friend. As a matter of fact, we need to stand out and let the Holy Spirit do the reaching. Understand, you and I never save anybody. Apart from the Holy Spirit working, nobody is saved. You and I are tricking ourselves and fooling ourselves if you think you and I do the saving. The Holy Spirit has to work on that person's heart. And apart from the work of the Spirit, you and I are not saved. It's the Holy Spirit that begins to work. That's why we pray that the Holy Spirit would work. That's why we prayed, and the volunteers came in early. We prayed over all the seats, and we asked, Holy Spirit, would you work in this room? He is God's change agent that was sent down for this time. But yet we, as God's people, think, it's up to us. I've got to change people. And if you're the one changing people, no wonder they change back, because they only changed for you. They only did it for you. You say, well, my husband won't go to church, and my, my boyfriend won't do this, my girlfriend won't do this, and I'm trying to get him to do this, and I'm manipulating him to do this. They're changing for you. How about we get on our knees and say, dear God, you have to change them. And I'm not going to leave this place until you start that work. Until I see heaven breaking through. Until I start to see a change. I'm going to stay in this place. I will fast. I will pray. I will labor in prayer so that that person might be saved. See, we've lost that. There was a famous preacher in China in the 1930s. His name was John Sung. John Sung died of tuberculosis at 37, but he was called the flame of the east. God used him in such a powerful way. He had five degrees in nuclear fission there were countries that wanted to hire him but yet he knew he had a call in his life to serve and preach the gospel and in that day and age he would preach everywhere but they would say he would disappear for hours before a message and he would come in and right before the message you would look at this man you would say look how haggard and sickly and frail he looks and then he would quote a verse by his stripes we are healed and he said I need to suffer as he suffered so the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, whatever it takes. And he died at 37. Where is that commitment today? Where is that drive to say, hey, I want truth. I want God's word to go forth. I want to see my neighborhood, my community changed. And that's what we need. But instead, we're straddling the fence. We're watering down truth. You know, the word compromise is a fancy term for losing. That's all it is. Today, as I got dressed for church, I went up to Austin. And I said, Austin, I got two pairs of brown shoes. Which shoe should I wear? And I had this pair of shoes on one foot, and I had another pair from Old Navy on the other foot. Austin said, wear the pair from Old Navy. Kane said, wear this one. And then they both agreed that I should wear both the different pair. I said, thanks, guys. And Austin just thought it was so funny. He was like, yeah, do it, Dad. You'll be a weirdo. And I was thinking, isn't it amazing? Because that's what compromise does. It means you both lose. Nobody won. I got two different shoes on. Look like an idiot, you know? Nobody wins. You compromise, and who wins? You say, well, that's what's fair. We need to compromise. No, God doesn't win. And Satan doesn't mind if he doesn't win as long as he knows that God doesn't win. That's his thing. He's like, I don't have to win as long as God doesn't win. That's Satan's goal. His goal is to get you all messed up before you go to church. Because then the shame and the guilt of you going to church, you're like, I can't go to church. Man, Pastor Mackay's going to be there. He's always so smiley and friendly and happy. He thinks I'm the greatest person in the world. Does he really know what type of person I am? I can't face him. And you're right. I do think you're the greatest person in the world. And you're right. I will smile because I know what Satan's telling you. I know what yourself is telling you. I know the thoughts that run through your mind because they run through my mind. Who am I to preach? Who am I to be a pastor? Who am I to talk about truth? And yet that's what is happening. We're making a compromise. 
And in our compromise, we are losing our convictions. And our convictions aren't simply convictions that we hold. Our convictions hold us. We used to believe that salvation was by faith through grace. We used to believe these things. We used to believe truths, these certain truths. But now it just kind of seems like the church is so divided. And that's God's, and God, God, God doesn't want that. Satan wants it. And we're not seeing, we're not able to gain ground. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 20, that God is a consuming fire. But the problem is here in California, we understand consuming fire because we get fire season and it consumes everything. But yet we talk about God being a consuming fire and consume our lives. But yet God doesn't, we don't let him consume anything. But yet God is a consuming fire that takes over. And so you and I, we need to step back and say, you know what, God, I'm not going to blend. I'm not going to bond. Because, you know, if you and I blend and bond, it leads us to bondage. That's exactly what it does. Blending and bonding leads to bondage. Notice this, verse number 16. Repent or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh, why allow him to eat the hidden manna and give to him a white stone. And in that stone a new name written with no man knoweth save he that receives it. You see, at the crux of this whole message is a verse out of Proverbs. The verse in Proverbs says, the fear of man brings a snare. Proverbs 29, 25. You see, the real problem, the real reason is we acquiesce, we compromise, we capitulate, is because of fear of man. That's honestly what leads to our bondage. We're afraid of what somebody else might think or do. And nowadays, it's more real than ever. You're right. You could lose a family member. You could lose a job. There's a lot on the line now. We used to talk about these things, but we now literally cancel culture is the real thing. You could lose clients. You could lose friendships. It could all be gone if you start standing for the truth. That, that is exactly what's on the line. But then God says to those that will, I will allow them to eat of the hidden manna. You say, what's that hidden manna? Jesus said, I am the bread, the bread of life. Why did, Jesus, why did God provide manna in the desert? He was saying, hey, this is a picture of a type of Christ. This is me. I will sustain you. And God's saying, hey, I will give you myself. I will give you myself. And you say, what's the deal with the white stone? What's that? Well, they didn't have a ticket master in those days. Okay? No ticket master. There was nothing to get your tickets, but yet they had these large venues, and they're still there today in the city of Pergamum. They had stadiums of over 5,000 seats. But how would they know who paid and got their entrance? They were given a white stone. You see, the bread symbolizes God's provision. God said, hey, if you'll be faithful, I will provide. So you and I, we're worried about bread. We're worried about a salary. And God's like, you be faithful to me. And guess what? I will provide the bread. I'll be your hidden manna. I will take care of you. Just like there was manna in the wilderness for 40 years, I will be your manna here now. But you be faithful to me. And I will provide. God is saying, hey, I'm your provision. But what was the stone? The stone was also given to a victor because there would be an after party. And that little stone, he would hold up and say, hey, I got this white stone. And in that stone was not only just the fact that they had won or they had purchased to get in. That stone represented that they now had this special position. That they were allowed in. That they were one that they could go in and have access. It was a permission. And then the new name. We read about Abram becoming Abraham. Sarai becoming Sarah. Jacob becoming Israel. And Simon to Peter. And Saul to Paul. You see, these are all the things you get. When you are faithful to God, God says, I will take care of you. But the problem today is that because we have, are afraid of man, we're now in bondage. Many of us are in bondage to it. Somebody wisely said recently, and I wrote it down, it stuck in my mind, that battles aren't bad, but bondage is. Christians fighting battles is normal. Don't be upset and don't be mad when you have to fight a battle. That's normal. Put on, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. The battles against the devil. That's normal. Battles aren't bad, but bondage is. How many Christians today are in bondage? And that's why they lack the power. God doesn't want you in bondage. It's okay to fight battles. God will fight our battles. But many of us are in bondage. And so what he's saying is that he is the one to help us out of that. But I love, and I want to go back to verse number 13 for a second. Because the Bible says, I see where you live. See, I want you to understand, God sees that you're in a tough spot. He sees you. 
But just like we see in verse 14 and 15, he once again repeats his commendation. He says in verse 14, but I have a few things against you because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. You see, God recognizes you're in a tough spot, but when I see those verses, I realize we're in the right spot. You and I are in a city much like Pergamum, where it's just easier to, to acquiesce. Pastor Meese and I, we went and visited a church that just had gotten a new building. And we were walking around, and we were just like, we're getting ideas for our property and our building. We were touring it and everything. And I was like, man, this is amazing. He said, yeah. And this company, this major tech company, paid for it. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Talk about spoiling the Egyptians. And then I was getting excited. I was like, yeah, let's take the devil's money and build churches. Yeah, take that devil. I was excited. I get excited about stuff like that. And then he said something. He said, but they just wanted to go through our messages and just wanted to clarify our stance on some of these issues. So we just had to water it down a little bit. We, you know, just toned it down a little bit. And my heart just kind of sunk. Because I was saying, you dropped the standard. You see, when we lower the standard, that now becomes the new standard. You understand that, right? And what is happening is now Christians are keep dropping a standard. So that became the new standard. I mean, come on, think about it. 20 years ago, some of the stuff that goes on in church today would never be tolerated. I, it, it, it blows my mind the things we tolerate, but it was a slippery slope. You say, but yeah, but look what, it, look what we got. Come on. It was just a, a little bit of insert. Caesar's Lord. It's it. It's done. And look at this. I'm saying, no, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Because you quite honestly had to make a deal with the devil to get it. And at first, what I thought was a great thing, now as I understand, is wait a minute. So that's all it took. Wave some Benjamins at you and I. And so we're a prophet for profit now? When I was little, we would go to uh, uh, summer camp. Whenever you go to summer camp, it was the best, right? You're going to camp, and you get there, no parents. They gave you, and it was a big deal to have $20 in your pocket, man. That you could go buy all the junk food you wanted. Mom and dad weren't there. I mean, basically, it was a week free of showers, deodorant, and brushing your teeth. That's all it was. We'd come back from camp straight to the dentist, straight to the shower and dentist. That's it. It was junior camp, not high school camp. There were girls at high school camp, so you know, that all changed. But in junior high camp, you know, you were like, they had a lake. I took a bath in that water. I'm sure that's sanitary, you know. And so you go there, but then they would have a soda fountain. And uh, at the soda fountain, you know, you junior high, junior high, elementary kids, you know what you do? You grab a cup, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, Coca-Cola, Diet Coke, lemonade, water, and then Cholula Tabasco sauce in there. And then you sit at your table, and you're like, who's going to drink it? And there's always that kid that'll drink it. There's always somebody that wants the attention. And they're like, I'll drink it. You know, and then, and then we had a name for that drink. You pour anything and everything. I mean, if they had gravy for the mashed potatoes, it was going in that drink. I mean, this had so much sludge in it, it was nasty. But there was always that one kid that would drink it. And you know what they called that drink? Suicide. How many remember the suicide drink, right? You just go through and just get it all. Yeah, I'm going to go through and suicide. I'm just going to blend and bond it all together, and then I'm going to drink it. Can I tell you, my friend, with all seriousness, that just like that drink was called a suicide, today you are committing spiritual suicide by blending and bonding with culture. It's the same. It's the same suicide to your spiritual heart. Here we are, ah, it's a suicide, I gotta get it all, I gotta get it all. I just wanna try all of the world, and then on Sunday, oh, how great is our God, and he forgives me, all the sin that I did, all the drugs that I did, you know, all the bad things, he just forgives me, right? You forgive me? God does forgive. But there's also a scripture that talks about a man who sought for God with fasting and weeping, and God was far from him. Though he sought it with tears, God was far from him. You say, who was that? Esau. Remember, he missed out on his birthright? And he goes back to his daddy. He says, daddy, give me my birthright. Daddy, give it to me. And his dad said, I gave it away. You compromised the Bible says, though he sought it with tears, tears, couldn't get it back. See, compromise costs you something. And that's what nobody tells you. The devil always delays payday. He always does. 
And that's why so many of us are so susceptible. Because the due, the toll always comes due. So for God's people, we need to pray, Lord, help me to not blend. Help me not to bond. Because that's going to lead to my bondage and my spiritual suicide. I don't want to die spiritually. I don't want to just go through the motions at church. You don't want that? I don't want that. I don't want Sunday to just be like, oh, man, we've got to get to church. You know, Pastor Mackay, he needs me to straighten up the chairs. Yeah, he needs me to sing that song. If I'm not there, who's going to do it? Don't get to that point. Don't get to that point. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed as we wrap up this morning? Heavenly Father, we need you. Father, we're so grateful and thankful of the fact that your word reminds us that we don't need to blend and bond. That we can be holy. That we can be separate. That you are calling us to a different life. And so, Father, I pray for my friends and my family here. I pray, God, that you would strengthen them. The temptations of the devil are so strong right now, and we can sense it, and we are fighting against it. But, Father, I pray for those that are in this room. Lord, would you keep them strong? Help them not to blend and bond with culture because it's going to lead to their bondage. Help us to be more like an Antipas that says we will not compromise because we have a great calling. And, Father, we look to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would there be anybody here this morning? You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because blending and bonding just kind of seems like that's what I do. Does that hand go up? Can I pray for you? Amen. I see those hands. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. I pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. God bless you. But is there anybody here you say, you know what? I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know God as my personal Savior. And today, I, I sense the Holy Spirit convicting me. I want to receive Jesus as my personal Savior. I don't want to say Caesar is Lord. I want to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is that you? You want to make that declaration today? Would you slip up your hand? We could pray for you. If that is you, would you meet with me after? I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. Heavenly Father, you see these hearts. You see these hands. And Father, you're doing a great work in our midst. And Father, I pray that our church would be a church that stands for truth. Truth is not trash. Truth is treasure. And we want to lift up the truth. For you are the truth. You call your church the pillar and ground of truth. And so, Father, as we look at your word, which is true, we know that we have a foundation of truth as we follow the person of truth. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as we are wrestling against the attacks of Satan. May we be strong and fortified, putting on, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Help us to stand this week, and not just this week, but next week and the week after and the month after and the year after that. And help us not to compromise and capitulate to culture, but help us to be committed to our calling, Father. We pray your blessing on these, your people. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's sing a song of praise and worship. Amen. What a perfect song. We're going to actually participate in the Lord's Supper right now. So I'm going to actually be seated just for a moment. I don't mean to keep you too much longer. And I want to share a scripture as the ushers are passing out the elements. And uh, we've got a dear friend in the audience. Uh, Mr. Port Wilburn is here, so uh, I'm going to have you give a word. Since you just snuck in, you, ha- you can't, can't be here without saying a word in just a moment, so please be ready in just a second, sir. Uh, we'll have you give a word of the greeting to the church. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says something that's so applicable to not only the Lord's Supper, but also to compromise. He says, do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of the pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. Notice what he says in verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? What he's saying is in that time, the church thought, I can live for the devil and I can live for God. And I show up on Sunday And I take communion like everybody else. And I go about my own lifestyle. Let me put a challenge to us this morning. I grew up in a church where if you were not right with God, they would ask you to not take communion. That's how serious it was. You say, how do you know if you're not right with God? 
we would do an altar call, and we would want to confront our sins. Because the Bible says, don't drink unworthily. Because that's what Paul was saying. Some of us, we think, I can live for God, and I can live for the devil. And guess what? I come on Sunday, and this little thing just kind of absolves me. No, 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 no. This is saying, God, you sacrifice your life. So God gave his son Jesus, gave you his all. But you give all of a part, not a whole. He says, we're going to come and we're going to prepare to take this cup. And it takes a minute. It's two packages that are in one. But we're going to start with the bread and then we'll move to the cup. But in that passage, it says, this is the body of New Testament. This do ye as often as you take it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, thank you that your body was offered up. Thank you for your sacrifice. And may we honor your sacrifice by saying this morning, God, we present ourselves a living sacrifice back to you. So we thank you for what you've done. The next verse goes on to say, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the precious blood that was spilled. The blood that covers all sin. The blood that atones for sin. The blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. That God sees the blood and now sees that we are clean. Thank you for the blood. Thank you that it covers and cleanses. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Several announcements, and then I'll ask Port to close out our service. We have lots of things happening at the church, and I'm so excited in this season, but I want us to be on guard prayerfully. I want us to be on guard among the body because when God starts to move, don't think for a second Satan is not having a counterattack ready. Let us be on our knees in this season. Let us be seeking God. Let us make sure no root of bitterness or anything comes up. Let us be on guard. Not only that, I'd also like to encourage us that this is a season of evangelism where we are on October or on August 15th, we're going to do a backpack giveaway. We plan to give away 15, uh, 500 backpacks. He said, why would we do that? A couple of reasons. First of all, we want people to get the gospel. Second of all, Understand that in the next six months, there's going to be a PR campaign for us to win over the neighbors. All right? So we're going to have to go to county, and everybody in the neighborhood gets to voice their opinion. And in case you haven't realized, most people, when they hear churches come to the neighborhood, immediately they think, no. They would rather have anything else. I mean, it could be a, 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 a distillery for marijuana. You know, it could be that, it, but they don't want a church. And we know what that really is. So what, doing a backpack giveaway wins over the neighbors, gives us an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so we're going to be uh, raising funds to do it. Last year we gave away 635, but we're going to do two services, and we asked the neighbors if we could borrow their parking lot. So we'll have people come to church. We'll do two services on that day. And I don't want us as a church body to think, oh, man, they're going to do outreach. It'll be an evangelism sermon, so I don't need to go. No, we're doing it differently, but in this season, we'd love to have you a part. We want to reach our community. There'll be church service. It just so happens everybody who comes to church will also get a backpack after church, and so we'll have a great time. That's on August 15th, so that's coming up, about a month, all right? And then we have Street a Week, where we can go out canvassing. There are outreach cards and maps, and you can take a map, you take cards, and invite people to church. I hope you grab those outreach cards, and whenever you buy a coffee or anywhere, tell people about church. Uh, I was with, who was I with? Bradley, and we went to Five Guys, and I pulled out one of those cards, and I gave it to her, and she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're always in here reading your Bible, and I was like, that's not me, but I'll take it, <laughs> and she's like, I've been wanting to ask you, and Bradley was there, and we were just, we were invited to church, you're we like, sure, come to our church, she's like, yeah, I've been wanting to come to your church, I was like, good, we've been wanting you there, so having those outreach cards, it also has the plan of salvation on the back, where you can talk to somebody about Jesus, and so lots of good things, lots of things coming up. Also, in this season, I want to thank you for your generosity. This is a season where God's people and every dollar goes forward to be able to advance this project that we have. It used to be that we had a building fund. Now we have a building plan. 
It's not just a fund anymore. We are building. Stuff is happening. Plans and drawings are in place. That's an exciting thing for our church, and it's great. And you pray for that. You pray that God open up doors and open up the right contacts. So I've talked long enough. Port, i got to tell you guys about Port. All right, so our church is through a, a denomination of churches and a network, and uh, Port is the leader in the South Bay, and he does a tremendous job. I haven't seen you in a minute. And uh, the last time Port was at our church, we were in another building. We were four buildings ago. It was the Echo building, which they tore down. Now it's gone. So that was four buildings ago. That's how it, it was a nice building. So Port, come give us a greeting and then close us out in prayer. We're so glad that you're here. Love Thank you, you Micaiah. Man, um, it's been awesome to watch your journey. I said you were f- four locations ago, but you know what? Everywhere you go, you're a blessing. And God has you on a journey. And you weren't at the South Ridge, San Jose. That's right. You're now at the South Ridge of San Jose, all right? Amen. You're just fulfilling the, the, the words that were spoken over you over this ministry. My job is easy. I get to encourage folks. So I'm just here as, as a ministry. Stay faithful. This, you, you're being faith. And I deal with a lot of leaders. And Makai, you have stood in the midst of opposition. You stood your ground. You've not compromised. It. And God is using that. And he will bless all of you as you stay faithful. Just stay faithful, Southridge. You have a new community that God has called you to love. To love, just go love on those neighbors, and they will welcome you. Listen, you love on them, they will welcome you into the neighborhood. They will do that. Just serve, be faithful. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Thank you for this ministry, San Jose, oh God being a blessing everywhere they go, oh God. Lord, because they have been sent, ordained, and called by you. Thank you for the travel. We thank you for the journey. We thank you for the adventure. We thank you, Lord, for the, the land you have given this ministry, oh God. Lord, it's not just about the land. It's about the people in the community you've called it to go and serve. Go ye therefore, preach the gospel, proclaim victory, set the captives free. Southridge Church, be blessed as you go forth. In the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.